We are in a series called The Beautiful Way, in which we're exploring the beautiful way of Jesus. Again, we are all about Jesus. We believed he was a crazy guy, but he was actually the son of God, okay? He was actually the son of God. No joke. Uh, this is uh, what one of my favorite philosophers, C.S. Lewis, said. He said, Jesus is either a lunatic and a liar at best, or he really is who he said he is, meaning the, the, the son of God. We can't take Jesus halfway. We've got to pick and choose who was this man. I believe he was crazy and the son of God, okay? Uh, That's why I like to teach about him. He's awesome, okay? But here's the thing. We've been working through something called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 through 6 and 7. And we're going to continue to go through that over the next couple weeks. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. And that's where we're going to hang out today. Um, If you don't, uh, we have Bibles in the back that you can grab. And it's also going to be on the screens today. If you don't have a Bible and, man, you want to know more about this Jesus guy, I encourage you, man, pick one of these up and bring it home. It's our gift to you. Seriously, take, take it home. We'd love for you to just go ahead and, and read that and journey through it yourself. We're all about journey here, okay? We're not about shoving something in your face as if you've got to believe today and just have enough faith to believe what, you know, whatever we're teaching. We're all about journey. If you've got questions after today, I'm telling you, like, you can ask any one of us. And we'd love to journey with it. Uh, with you through it. You know, and if you have questions, man, groups is an awesome place too. I'm telling you, it's an awesome place for you to journey through some of those questions. Uh, some of the people who maybe just recently joined groups, they've learned you're safe. Wherever you come from, whatever your mess is, you're safe in those groups. You can, you can say anything off color and you're safe, okay? We got a lot of off color stuff in our groups. It is colorful and super fun. Anyway, enough of that plug. The beautiful way, that's where we're at. And so we're gonna continue to learn about what Jesus values in life and how we can follow him. And he dives into these intense topics. You know, we've talked about hell. We've talked about suffering and and all that. Last week we talked about sex. (laughs) If you were there, like, I love this, by the way. It seems like every time we do a sex Sunday, some new people show up and I'm like, welcome. That's intense. All right. Uh, Anyway, today we're going to talk about divorce. And I realize even before we start that it's an emotional subject for a lot of us in this room. Because the stats go that one in every two marriages, just about, will end in divorce in America. It's about 45% of the marriages that, that actually end in divorce. And so whether we are divorced in this room or whether we come from a divorced family, it leaves very few of us unscathed from its effects. And so what we want to do today is we want to journey through, man, what does Jesus think about all this? Where's he at? How do we understand this? Uh, Is it okay to divorce? Is it okay to remarry? You know, where are the boundaries? How does he understand it? How do we wrestle with it? And then maybe for some of us who are kind of reeling from some of the effects of that, how do we deal with that? So whether you're single in this room and you're thinking about marriage, it's something that you'd like to do someday. This is a huge, important topic because divorce covers marriage, okay? You can't divorce unless you're married. Now, we're pretty smart here, okay? Um, So if you're single, it's going to be really important to think about marriage. We're going to talk a lot about that today. If you're married today, maybe some of us, like, our our marriage has experienced some highs and lows, okay? We're going to give some tools today to think through, man, how do we get to a healthy place in our relationships, So wherever you are on the map, I think this is going to be an important topic for us. So uh, we're going to jump in, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. And uh, so glad, again, that you guys get to journey with us today. Let me read it for you. Matthew 5, starting 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, this is Jesus now saying, 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, and Jesus kind of right out of the gate, bam, let me lay it on you straight right between the eyes. Like if you haven't understood it yet, Jesus is an extreme guy. He doesn't really say a whole lot of things halfway. He just gives it to you straight. And so he goes right up and says, man, for those who divorce outside of sexual immorality, it is adultery. It's intense stuff. Now, what he initially brings up here in, in verse 31, he says, you know, you've heard it said, meaning there was, there was something that was said long ago, uh, and you've, you're the religious elite, the leaders at the time have reinterpreted it in a number of different ways, and it said, man, if you're going to divorce, give someone a certificate of divorce. It's actually, it works off of an understanding of what Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 through 4, and we'll get into that in just a second, what that said. But this actually, this common phrase that they used, that if you're going to divorce, hand the woman a certificate of divorce, that wasn't even a direct quotation. You see, the religious leaders at the time were so good at taking something that God had originally said and reinterpreting it into something that was easier for them to obey. We talked about this last week, but the religious leaders back then and still religious leaders today, what they love to do is they love to create these boxes of who fits nice and neat and tidy inside of these morality boxes. And anybody outside of that, man, you're written off. They're good at that. and They're, they're good at alienating a lot of people because of it. And Jesus said, look, this goes a lot deeper and a lot messier than you think it does. Because at the moment, we're going to get into this in just a second again. What the religious leaders were after is how can we get out and still be good in God's economy? How can we get out of marriage whenever we want to and still be okay with God? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong questions. Now, to better understand this, we got to jump into another moment where he has an actual, like, kind of a fuller dialogue with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. It's found in Matthew 19. So let's jump there for just a second. Matthew 19, we're going to look at an interaction that he has uh, with these religious leaders and what the religious leaders were saying about divorce at the time. So Matthew 19, you ready? When Jesus had finished saying these things, he's talking to all the people. Uh, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea with the others, uh, on the other side of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him, and he healed some of them there. Now, in the middle of all this ministry, the religious leaders come up to him. This is what they say. Some Pharisees who came uh, to him, they came to test him, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? For any and every reason was their question. Why did they say that? It's because there was actually a debate at the time. Some of the religious, uh, kind of the, the elite, elite uh, religious leaders, uh, they were called rabbis back in the time, the teachers in the Jewish sect. Uh, there were two dominant schools of thought that were pretty different from each other. One that was conservative, one that was liberal. Uh, and the conservative was led by a guy named uh, Rabbi Shammai, and the, the liberal was led by a guy named Rabbi Hillel. And they had two radically different opinions on you know, what was good and what was not good when it came to divorce, what constituted the right grounds for divorce and what didn't. Um, so this is what they did. They, they looked at De Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, and it, it goes like this, and they interpret it in different ways, okay? This is an old law given way back. And it, it says, uh, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something, and this is the key word, indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and then sends it from his house. And then it goes on for a while. The key word there was indecent. And the, the rabbis at the time were like, well, what does it mean to be indecent? 
You know, if you find something displeasing about her and she does something indecent, well, what does indecent mean? And Rabbi Shammai, the conservative guy, says, well, we're going we're, we're gonna to interpret that in a really narrow sense that it's got to be an extreme break in the relationship between a husband and a wife. It's got to be extreme, otherwise you can't divorce. We're going to make it hard for them to divorce. And Halal comes in and says, no, 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 no. Look, if she's indecent and displeases in any way, you can go ahead and write their certificate and off with her. No joke. Like, there, there actually, there's evidence back from the first century of some of the writings of the, the teachers at the time uh, and a historian named uh, Josephus in the first century who writes that it was a common practice to actually side with Rabbi Hillel. And if your wife burnt your supper, boom, you could write that certificate and off you go. If she wasn't good enough looking, like if you just turn around one day and were like, man, you're kind of ugly. I'm moving on. Like, that was good enough. That was good enough back in the first century. You'd laugh. That's what they did. Um, actually, it was, it, you look at some of the historical records and divorce was incredibly common back in the first century. And it was a male-dominated world. It was all in the man's hands. Whatever he wanted to do, he did. The crazy thing was it was such a harsh world too for women in the first century that if they were written a certificate of divorce and off, it was most likely that they would actually end up incredibly poor. Because their value and their wealth and whatever they had was always tied to the man that they were with. And yet men could do whatever they wanted. And so can you see why Jesus would come in and say something pretty extreme? In a moment where men were given certificate and license to do whatever they wanted with women, man, she burnt my supper for the fourth time, gone, I'm looking for somebody else. Jesus steps in and says, no, you can't get away with that. For any and every reason is what they were saying. I mean, seriously. I'm like, I'm picturing that. Like, if I tried that today, husbands, look, if I tried that today, you burnt my supper again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sleeping on the couch at best, right? Yeah, not so. Don't try that at home, okay? Please don't, please don't. It was a nasty world. This is how Jesus responds to them, okay? They ask this question. They say, is it okay for us to divorce on any grounds, any and every, every reason? Jesus responds to them this way. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, he's talking about the foundation of the world and how God created the original design for all of this. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. United. And the two will not become two different beings. They're going to become one flesh. That's how God designed it. So they're no longer two, but one, Jesus says. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You ever heard that in a marriage before? The wedding vows? What, man, what, what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. You know, like those wacky old, you know, what in the world does that even mean? Anyway, Jesus says, look, they're one at this point. That's how deep a marriage covenant ought to be. It's almost like when you look at a husband and a wife, they should be indistinguishable from each other as a unit because when God made them together, they're not just two different people trying to find fulfillment in each other. No, this is a unit that God has made and there's something beautiful about that oneness. Jesus is looking at the religious leaders and saying, you're asking the wrong question because what you're, doing, what you're, what you're revealing and asking the question, is it okay to divorce on any grounds whatsoever? You're revealing a deep-centered self-centeredness. This says, man, this is about me and not about how I love people in this world, not how I care about our society and not how I care about maybe the weakest, most voiceless people out there. God has a different design 
in all of this for us. Marriage was intended to help people flourish. So Jesus says, man, you want to talk about divorce? You got to deal with marriage first. It is a one flesh deal. It is so sacred. Now, we might look at how they dealt with all of that in the first century and be disgusted by it, right? You know, man, I can't believe women, like, women were treated by men that way. I can't believe that actually happened. Guys, we're not far from that here in the 21st century. They made it easy to divorce back then, and we've made it easy to divorce now. This is what the stats are saying. You ready? 45, we said this earlier, 45% of marriages now end in divorce. The divorce rate is actually twice what it was back in 1960. A dramatic shift has happened from 1960 to today. One in four parents living with a child are actually unmarried. That's how common a brokenness in marriage is. 40% of couples saying, I do, this is crazy, 40% of couples saying, I do, are saying it for at least the second time. That's how many people are remarrying. And, you know, this stat isn't up here on the screen. uh, But 42 million Americans have been married more than once. And that is a change from 22 million in 1980. Almost doubled the amount of people from 1980. So we're seeing a massive shift in all of that. So here's the result. Ready? Divorce rates lately in the past 10 years are actually staying relatively stable. Relatively stable. It's not looking good, but they're... They're staying relatively stable. What is changing is people's approach to marriage. Is this something that we actually want to get into? <laughs> I mean, a lot of us in this room, maybe, maybe we've come from divorced families. Maybe we've seen the wreckage in it and we've said, man, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us actually to get into marriage? There's a lot of risk in there. And so this is what's happening. 72% of adult, adults were married in 1960. 72%. 50% now. Actually, this was back in 2008. So a 22% drop in people who are even saying, man, I, I want to get married. 20% of adults had never married right now. 20% say, like, they, they, they've never even tried it. Up from 9% in 1960, so more than double that. Most just prefer to live together before even thinking about getting married because it's a lot safer at that point. Man, if things don't work out, well, see ya. It's a lot safer, right? So here, we have to ask the question, why? Why is all of this happening? Why, why are we having this dramatic shift in our culture right now? And what is happening at a perspective level that's maybe leading to the breakdown in marriage, the way that we've seen it, and maybe this dramatic shift in people saying, man, I don't even know if marriage is really worth considering. So here's a dramatic shift in a worldview that is taking place in America. This is so important, ready? You gotta follow me on this one. Marriage and the purpose of marriage has dramatically shifted. Back in 1960 and before that, marriage was seen as an institution for the betterment of society. It was something you submitted yourself to and you, you, you kind of were underneath to uphold this institution of marriage because you believed that kids and, and you know, healthy relationships and society as a whole, they would all thrive if we participated in something called marriage. Nowadays, the purpose of marriage is not for the betterment of society. The purpose of marriage is for personal fulfillment. Are you going to enhance my life? Am I going to get more out of this because I married you? One uh, New York Times author captured it this way. The notion um, uh, that the best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual may seem counterintuitive. After all, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Not anymore. 
For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouses were secondary to the survival of marriage as a thing itself. But in modern relationships, people are looking for partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting, who help each other attain valued goals. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? We want a partnership. We want to help attain valued goals. We want our life to get better. It comes at a dramatic cost, okay? Uh, Singles in the room, and for all of us who were single at one point, you know how this works, right? When you go spouse hunting, you know what I'm talking about? You go into, (laughs) some of the laugh at spouse hunting. You know that's happening, okay? Look, when you jump into a party and there's a whole bunch of people in the room, this is what happens. It's like a Seinfeld-like thing. You jump into the room and you instantly count half the people out, right? That's what happens. You look at the people and you're like, "Mm, nope, mm, nope. Nope, definitely not. Okay. She's got man hands. You ever seen that Seinfeld episode? Any other Seinfeld fans in the house or is that too old? Am I revealing my age at that point? Crap. Okay. Anyway, uh, he looks like he's jobless and lives in his parents' basement still. You know that. Like you walk into a party and you're like, yep, still living in the basement. Probably living off video games and Cheetos, you know, like, you know, or her laugh's a nightmare. <laughs> Don't want to live with that for the next 50 years. Like, you know that. Like, you're instantly counting half of the people in the room out. You're not my material. <laughs> Stop laughing. You're making me laugh, right? Anyway, look, we, we've got, like, be honest. Be honest. For those of us who've made those lists, right? You make your lists. Man, this is my compatibility list, you know? What makes it at the top of that list? If you're honest, don't you dare put, the, like, the spiritual answers up at the top. What makes it at the top? Is she hot? Right? Is he making any income? You know? Does he make anything? Like, that's some of the lists that we come into this. Why? Because marriage at this point is not about us or about society. It's about me. That's what happens when we spouse hunt. How are they going to enhance my life? Now, this, this is kind of how it works. We are looking for superwoman or superman when we're out to spouse hunt. That's who we're looking for. I've talked to people who've shared their lists with me, okay, of what they're looking for in a person. And this is what I want to ask them. Do you meet that criteria? Do you put yourself under that same list or is this some sort of a superhuman person that you're looking for? Let me tell you this. You cannot expect a human to meet God-like expectations. Let me, I'll say it again. You cannot expect a human being to meet God-like expectations. And this is what we've turned marriage into. This is how unrealistic and how crushing our expectations have been on the people who will fulfill us in this world. Ready? Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. People want a spouse who's fun intellectually stimulating, sexually attractive, and with many common interests, who on top of it all is supportive of their personal goals of the way that they're living now. That's a high bar, guys. If your desire is for a spouse who will not demand a lot of change from you, then you're also looking for a spouse who is almost completely pulled together. Someone very low maintenance without much in the way of personal problems. You're looking for someone who will not require or demand significant change. You're searching, therefore, check this out, for an ideal person. Happy, healthy, interesting, content with life, 
Never before, this is what he concludes, never before in history has there ever been a society filled with people so idealistic in what they're seeking in a spouse. This is his conclusion. Marriage used to be about us. Now it's about me. And this newer view of marriage actually puts a crushing burden of expectation in marriage. This is what happens. Ready? When we put, and this is why it's so important in the conversation of divorce, when we put crushing expectations on someone else, it will inevitably lead towards divorce. The first step in someone going from a happy marriage to the road down toward divorce is disappointment in the area of expectations. That's where it starts. Uh, I read, um, uh, I was listening to a pastor who, who read a book called Divorce Proof Your Marriage, um, written by a guy named Gary Rosenberg, and he identified seven steps that, that are kind of on the road toward divorce. And I thought this was helpful, so I want to share it with you too. Uh, it always starts off with a dream, right? I love doing weddings. It's one of my favorite things to do. And on that wedding day, when you're performing and helping these people put their vows together, it is a glorious moment filled with all sorts of happiness. I mean, it is so fun. I love it. But <laughs> I've noticed a trend in weddings these days where, we, yes, we do the traditional vows, but it's almost like you kind of get those out of the way so that you can go to the, the mooey, gushy, you know, like ooey gooey kind of like vows, the personal vows that a lot of people like to jump into. Um, and no joke, this is the kind of expectations that we put on weddings themselves. It's a $50 billion industry every year. I don't know if you knew that. Massive industry. That's what we kind of put on. But th- this is really how it goes today. You know, the, the traditional vows that, you know, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, like that's what I'm going to commit to you. This is what I'm hearing from a lot of marriages these days. You ready? I promise always to kiss you when you get out of bed. I promise always to be your scrabble buddy, you know, or whatever game you play. I don't know what game you play. I promise to hold your hand and whisper sweet nothings to you every day. You know? I'm not, I'm not kidding. I hear this stuff at weddings, you know? Not beautiful motion there? All right. Please don't record that on camera. I'll see that forever. Okay. You want some real vows? This is what real vows look like. You ready? I was putting this together with charity this week. I promise I'll wake up looking like death most mornings with guaranteed dragon breath. Like, no joke. That's a real vow. I promise that. I promise that I will unintentionally leave the keys in a place you can't find them. <laughs> and leave my water bottle somewhere where nobody will ever find it. All right, that's, that's what I do all the time, no joke. Uh, I promise that things will probably get intense if you bring up money or ask for sex after 10 p.m. We're getting real now, okay? Look, these are real vows. These are real vows. And I'm telling you, that's the dream. Like, we start off with this dream of what an ideal marriage and a future will look like. That's what we want. Nobody enters marriage thinking, yeah, divorce is going to be awesome someday. Nobody does that. They start off with a dream, but it goes down the road of disappointment when we start, you know, dabbling in the areas of expectations, okay? It doesn't take long into the road of marriage where you understand that you got pretty different expectations when it comes to life. All right, this is how it worked for me and Charity early on, okay? We had very different expectations about what a moment in the car would look like and how to recharge your personal batteries, okay? Everyone needs to recharge in a different way. I'm an extrovert, love people time. And so when, like, we started our marriage when I was off in seminary, and I'm in the library most of the week by myself, studying with a computer and other books. At the end of a week when I'm feeling drained, guess what I'm going to want? 
bring on the party. Like I want everybody at our house. We're going to play games. We're going to stay up late. It's going to be awesome. That's how I'm, I'm going to recharge. Any other extroverts in the room? That's like, that's how you recharge. Yes. All right. Not many. All right. I'm not going to have any friends this Friday. Fantastic. Okay. Anyway, um, introverts. Charity is an introvert. She loves to recharge by being alone, you know, and, and kind of having more of that one-on-one uh, experience. Awesome, my iPad just turned off. Okay, that's fantastic. Anyway, uh, she's in the middle school all week talking to a whole bunch of kids who are giving her the finger. I'm not lying. That's what happened. At the end of that crazy middle school week, she comes back, and guess what her Friday night's going to want to look like? One-on-one, nice and quiet. Maybe we get a little tea and we're watching a movie. It's so beautiful. Here come these two storm clouds, okay? <laughs> Friday and boom, lightning and thunder happen because I'm like, hey, let's throw a party. And she's like, wait a minute, I thought I was enough for you. And I'm like, well, you are enough, but I need more people too. And, you know, like we're just, and like that's what happens. Expectations, man, it just goes this way and that way. And like that's where the disappointment starts happening. When it comes to a car ride, okay? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm looking for a party. I love conversation. Uh, anybody else like just hate the person in the car, just wants to talk forever and engage in audiobooks, okay? That's me. You probably never want to ride with me, okay? So I jump in the car and I'm like, yeah, sweet, intellectual stimulation. Let's have a conversation. Let's turn on an audiobook, a little murder mystery, whatever. Like, let's just have some fun with that. Charity, on the other hand, let's get everybody what they need kids, books, you know, snacks, all that kind of stuff. Just keep everyone quiet so that I can just sit quiet. Oh, please, quiet. That's her. Like, and so in the moment, <laughs> and like, expectations start doing this, guys. When you start having expectation differences, that's where it starts getting crazy. And it leads from from a dream to a disappointment. And when you go from a dream to disappointment, then you start living in some disconnect. When you get from disconnect, you also start getting a little bit of distance, okay? So from discouragement, you you go dream, disappointment, discouragement. You know, because, man, like, I can't believe we're constantly doing this. We're discouraged. And now there's some distance between us and our relationship, we're experiencing some of that. So now what I want to do is I want to actually set up some boundaries, some emotional boundaries and walls between me and you so that I don't get hurt again. That's where the distance happens and the disconnect. And then you start lobbing bombs over that wall, you know, because like, oh, man, you're continually not meeting my expectations. And so, boom, there's the grenade. and I'm just going to throw it over the top. Boom, and it blows up. And eventually all that discord leads to divorce. That's the seven steps towards divorce, guys. It starts with expectations. And so when Jesus is talking here about, like, you're asking what are the grounds, the legal grounds for you to actually start dividing, Jesus said, this was never my intention for you. This was never my intention for you. Don't you understand? This is not God's intention for marriages. It is never his intention. Why? Because when Jesus looks at a marriage, it's more than just two people trying to come together for personal fulfillment. This is what a marriage is. When God brings two people together, it actually is a beautiful reflection of something a lot deeper than that. It's a reflection of something that he wants all of us to know, whether we're married or single. And it's the beautiful marriage of God with the people who are faithful to him. That's what a marriage ought to reflect ultimately. You see, at the very beginning when humanity looked at God after he created these beautiful conditions for us to have a living personal relationship with him, humanity said, no, thank you, God, and they walked away. It was this rebellion and said, man, I don't want you. I don't need you. Don't want to factor you into my plans, God. And they just started walking the other way. And man, no wonder we experience so much hurt in this world. All the natural disasters and the 
the disharmony and the warfare, it's all stemming from one selfish decision of us leaving God. God never intended it that way. And it's a miracle that he didn't walk away completely from humanity. Instead, what he did is he kept pursuing and he kept pursuing and he kept pursuing all of us. Because what he wants at the end is a personal relationship with us, with every one of us. No matter where you've been, I don't care how much mess and how much baggage you bring into the, into the room today. God wants a living personal relationship with you. And marriage, the most personal, intimate, beautiful relationship that we can ever have if we do it right in this world, is ultimately a reflection of what God wants for every one of us. It's amazing. I was reading this earlier today, but in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the book of the Bible, like the, 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 very last, the very last chapter, the very last thoughts that God wanted written in this thing, it's a picture of the marriage between God and his people where there's all beauty and perfect relationship, no discord, all harmony. This, this is ultimately what God wants in this world. So when he created marriage, he, he ultimately wants it to point back to what he's ultimately doing in every one of our lives. That's what he intended. But the breakdown happens when we start experiencing these breakdown in expectations. And expectations are crushing. This is what, ready? Guys, this, this is the calling of marriage, okay? If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did this for us, okay? I love reading Philippians chapter 2 in every one of these uh, weddings that I perform. Because Jesus is saying, man, if you've had any encouragement with, from, from being united with me, you've got to stop thinking about yourselves. And you've got to start thinking about other people. Because when Jesus came into this world, this is what he did. And he did this so that we would be reunited with him forever, okay? It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus Christ. This is verse 5 in chapter 2. Who, this is Jesus, this is what he did for us. You ready? Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Guys, we approach marriage that way, don't we? I'm going to marry you if you bring advantage into my life. Jesus didn't do that. In fact, it says he didn't consider equality with, something, uh, with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Husbands, do you know the standard that God sets for us in a, in a marriage? He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, blameless, spotless, radiant. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, that's a high bar. And when I wake up and roll out of bed in the morning with all my nasty breath and I'm thinking, man, all I want is coffee right now because like coffee makes everything just a little better. Uh, that's not my first thought. How can I die to myself today? No, my thought is, I want my coffee. I really hope that Charity prepped that the night before because I love it when I get down there, that little red light is on and the coffee is ready. And if that's not there, it's a little storm clouds. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, for real, like, I love my coffee and I love my Charity. So um, moral of the story, that's what you can get out of today. Fantastic. Anyway, um, Jesus pictured marriage so that it would be this deeply uniting thing so that we could be reunited with him. And we've got to check our expectations at the doors, guys. It's the expectations that are crushing us. So no matter where you're coming from today, like that's, that's what we got to deal with. So 
What's our pathway out of this? We've got to start seeing marriage in a very different way. The essence of marriage is not personal self-fulfillment. The essence of marriage is actually personal self-donation for the sake of the other person. This is what I said, you know, Joe and Jenna, um, some of the people who, who sing and play uh, on a weekly basis up here, I did their marriage a couple years ago, and uh, I told them, look, the essence of marriage is not that you guys would come and complete each other, Tom Cruise style, you know, you complete me, yeah, that's you know, kind of a nice sentiment, not what God intended. No, it's so that actually I would, like, I see enough in you, I see enough in you that I actually believe in what God is doing in your life so much that I'm actually going to lower myself and self-donate everything of my life. I'm going to give my entire life to you so that I can help you become the person that God has in mind for you. I want to help take you on a journey so that you can be that person that God ultimately wants to recreate perfectly one day. That's what marriage is. And I'm telling you right now, if a husband and a wife do that, you better believe that thing sings. That if I exist not for myself, not to get what I can out of charity, but so that I can help her become the woman of God that God intends her to be, it's going to recreate her life and it's going to recreate my life too. That's how beautiful it gets. We've got to start seeing it not as a contract, but as a covenant. I'm giving myself totally for you. Not a contract, which is like, you know, you meet my expectations, I meet yours, we're good. As long as that happens, that's a contract. It has to be a covenant, 100%. And we've got to walk into it the way Jesus walked into it. And guys, this is vulnerable because there's no guarantees. When you make those wedding vows, zero guarantees. It's vulnerable, but I love how C.S. Puts, Lewis puts the vulnerability of love. This is what he says. And maybe for some of us in this room, like whether you're single or whether you're married, maybe you need to hear this today. Because anytime we choose to love someone, it's going to be vulnerable. He says, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. We got some animal lovers in the house today, some cat lovers. Yep, okay. Uh, Rapidly, uh, uh, wrap it carefully around with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements whatsoever. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. That's what he says. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It's not going to be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. Meaning, you can choose isolation. You can choose to hide if you want to. And some people do this with the church. They're just like, you know, I might come on Sunday mornings, but the rest of my life, it's just going to be all about me. I'm not going to risk that vulnerability of actually being known by someone else. But what C.S. Lewis says is that to risk that is actually to risk something far more dangerous and harmful. To love is to be vulnerable. To love in a marriage is giving your entire self away for the sake of the other person. And when that happens, we get the most beautiful picture of what God wants to do in your life and my life. That's why divorce is so ugly. Because when you break that, and when you start living in ways that actually break that covenant, what it does is it breaks the picture of what God wants to do for all of us. That broken covenant is the most beautiful thing that God wants to do. And so, step one, don't enter marriage lightly. 
Uh, you ever heard this song, by the way? It's like kind of a, a fun marriage song. You guys want to cue that up real quick? Uh, it's popular, super catchy. It's a beautiful night. We're looking for something dumb to do. Hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. You can stop. All right, that's how it goes. Look, it's super catchy. And like, I was listening to it all week this week and I was like, it's super fun. And I'm singing it everywhere I go. Do you know what the rest of the song does? This is what it goes. Is it the look in your eyes or is it that, that dancing juice? Hey baby, I think I want to marry you. And then later on it goes, I'll go get a ring. Let the choir bell sing like, ooh. Uh, it's like that. <laughs> I'll be performing next week, okay? Uh, if we wake up and you want to break up, that's cool. No, I don't blame you. It was fun, girl. Don't get into marriage lightly. Because I'm telling you right now, you enter that lightly and you jump into some of the most dangerous situation relationship-wise. No wonder so many people are hurting and isolated and on uh, medication for uh, all sorts of depression and anxiety. It's because our relationships and our culture have disintegrated. Marriage is a beautiful, powerful thing. Don't get into it lightly. But second, man, if you're in marriage, I'm telling you right now, you've got to commit to giving yourself completely away and start cutting the expectations in your life. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if you leave the expectations down here, it's going to be an awesome day today because the only way you can go is up. All right? <laughs> like if you expect your wife to be like the worst human being on planet Earth and they do something sweet for you, woo, today was an awesome day. All right? Set it low so that you can give yourself away fully. Okay? The other thing here, and we're not even going to get into this today because we've run out of time, but uh, Jesus immediately jumps into oaths, okay? And he says, don't even make promises. Like, don't, don't make promises like I swear by this or I swear by that. It's the very next section in Matthew chapter 5. He's like, some people back in the first century, they love to swear thing, by things so they would kind of legitimate the promise. Jesus said, don't even do that, okay? Like, don't, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by someone else's property or someone else's grave or anything like that. Everything is under God's control. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be people of your word. And for people in, in marriages right now, like, you, you've got to live what you say you're going to live. When you make those vows on, a, on a, your wedding day, let that be who you are. Because ultimately it reflects the God who wants to build a loving, intimate relationship with you. If you're single in the house today, don't jump into it lightly. Don't set that bar at a crazy expectation level where someone can only crash and those expectations lead to disappointment and all the way down that road to divorce. And if you're in marriage today, refuse to give in to what's going to break you apart. Because we know that something higher is at stake. Your relationship with Jesus and this picture of what grace in the gospel does. It's a beautiful thing when we obey and when we walk in it the way God designed it. Let's be people like that. Let's pray. Jesus, big topic today. And a lot of us have, have experienced this kind of hurt and the wounds in it. But again, my prayer today, God, is that we'd be different people. That we'd be the kind of people that carry wholeness and reconciliation everywhere we go. That we wouldn't be people that hold crazy expectations over others but we'd be the kind of people who instead choose to give ourselves away because our Savior gave himself away for us. And in the result, God, I pray that marriages would thrive in this room, that families would thrive and flourish in this room, and that in the neighborhoods and the workplaces that we go and the friends that we know, we would be that kind of healing agent to help marriages and families thrive and relationships to grow let us be that kind of people in Jesus' name. Amen.